Fuck pain. Fuck heartbreak. I'm still in love with life. From the multicultural headquarters of the future capital of the free-thinking states of America known as Los Angeles, this is the Drunken Taoist Podcast. Tonight, our summer interviews continue as osteopathic physician and director of education for the Association of Cannabis Specialists, Dr. June Chin, joins us to give us a straight scoop on all things CBD and the very promising future of plant medicine. Bruce Lee would never steer you wrong tinctures, edibles, and for those of you in states where it's legal, the encouragement to get into the dirt and grow your own. Here we go. And now, asking you all to spread the words that corporations are not persons, I'm Rich Evers. And my partner in crime, the savage philosopher and middle finger of the gods, Daniele Bolelli. As we invite you to lower the lights, batten down the hatches, and prepare to open your mind. For the Drunken Taoist Podcast, begins now. Welcome back, everybody, to another fine episode of the Drunken Taoist Podcast, episode 160. It's interview time for the summer again. Uh, Bellelli's off in Italy goofing off and having a good time. He'll be back soon. And actually, the next episode will be a Rich and Bellelli episode as we get into August. But tonight, let's get through the important things, and let's thanking the kind folks that help us keep this all on the air. And the first one is absolutely a favorite. It's time for Blue Chew. Blue chew, you make your mate cool when you crunch a blue chew. You make your mate cool when you crunch a blue chew, y'all. That's right. Blue chew is back as always. And, uh, you know, it may be embarrassing or crazy, but let me tell you, folks, when you're moving towards 50 and you want to relive the years of 20, this stuff will do it. It's no joke. It's popular for a damn reason. They like to tell you, it's the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients that are in Viagra and Cialis, and it definitely works. I can promise you that. I'm telling you the truth. It's prescribed online. It ships to you in a nice, discreet piece of packaging. It looks like a little gray cardboard envelope. Nobody will know what's inside. And by using the promo code DRUNK, when you go to BlueChew.com, you pay $5 for shipping, and the first tester kit is free. So what do you got to lose, my man? Give it a try. Blue Chew. Now, I just want to say real quick, because this is coming out almost at the same time, but July 20th is the 50th anniversary of the Apollo mission that actually landed on the moon when Neil Armstrong actually set foot on the moon and mankind's sort of did good for a day and seems to be climbing backwards again. But that's a whole different argument. Um, I just want to say that my documentary that I worked on called When We Were Apollo is showing on PBS stations across the country here in the U.S., so uh, look for your local listings. They're kind of, I do think it's the hour-long version, which is a bit of a bummer. There's like an hour, 30 minute that's really great. But once that's available, I'll let you know where to check it out. But if you're looking around with nothing to do over the next couple of weeks in July, uh, have a peek over there and see if you can check it out. I'd love to hear what you think about it. So let's get to the folks that help us keep everything on the air. And of course, that starts with our friends at Onnit, O-N-N-I-T.com. I'm waiting to start my Steel Maze six-week program and interested to see, you know, they say it's going to, tighten everything up and, and, and make me all that more awesome in six short weeks. So as we move along, I'll have a report and we'll see how it goes. Everything from alpha brain to bison jerky bars to sea salts to crazy workout gear. I mean, including the steel maces, which are quite awesome. It's all available on onnit.com. All things human optimization. 
the place to go is onnit.com. And then our friends at grasslandbeef.com. They're a collection of farmers from out in Missouri and Illinois, out in the Midwest, and they provide great, no antibiotics, no growth hormones. They're all out on grass. They're, they're all grass-fed. Uh, I've, I've had the steak several times, and now I'm going to try out the bison. I can't wait to check it out. It's delicious, and it's shipped frozen to your door. So please give grasslandbeef.com a try. I think you're going to like it. Next is one of our oldest sponsors, Sure Design at Sure Design T-shirts. That's T S H I R T S T-shirts.com. Tons of colors, tons of designs. I mean, you're going to spend a good time flipping through and finding stuff, but there's always a new couple of crazy designs. They've got a sun and moon thing I hadn't seen before. A lot of octopuses and Ganeshes and and just a wide variety of awesome little things to check out. So give a look, look with a friend, find a color, find a design, and ship it your way. SureDesignT-shirts.com. A really quick. Shout out to our friends at Snow Rose Coffee. They make small batches. They roast them. They cool them. They bag them. They seal them. They put them on the internet. And first come, first serve, they ship them out to the world. All sorts of different coffees from all around the world. And they roast them up and make them delicious. And you drink them down and you jitter because the caffeine is so delicious. And then finally, NeverTapGear.com. Um, they provide knee guards for old cats that are still rolling like Bellelli and need a little help to keep their knee from flying apart as they're rolling. They're also selling the awesome Tommy Goes in Rash Guard, the Savannah design, with the awesome female warrior carrying the severed head of her conquered enemy along with her. It is uh, quite spooky. All right, that's enough of that. This is a great episode. We're going to go meet Dr. June Chen and talk about her book, Cannabis and CBD for Health and Wellness. And it goes a little something like this. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Jun Chin. What's going on, Jun? How are you doing? Thanks for having me. I'm doing great this morning. You are now a New Yorker, just visiting California temporarily, but how long have you been in New York? So we moved back four years now. Wow. Yeah. What do you think of it? After weather in Southern California, I was dealing with East Coast winters. I know. So... I lived here 50, over 15 years, but it's actually nice to be home. Yeah. New York's always been home. Oh, because that's where you... Oh, that's right. Yeah. Okay, okay, okay. So that's where you started. That's different. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Okay, different story in that case. I was thinking, for some reason, I was thinking you grew up out here, and then now you moved to New York, and I was like, oh, that's going to be a rafter. How about your kids? Do they handle fine? The kids love it. Okay, then in that case, yeah. perfect. Yeah. My snobbish uh, Southern California, LA, nobody's got your our weather kind of thing. You shut it down in three seconds. So, <laughs> okay with that. Now, John, um, tell us a little bit for, you know, for the listeners who don't know you, a little bit about your medical background, how you got into medicine, and then we'll get specifically into the things about your book and uh, the subject of the book and all of that. But let's just start kind of how... How, how you got into medicine in the first place? Sure, sure. So um, I'm an osteopathic physician, and I became a medical cannabis patient before I became a doctor. So when I was a teenager, I was diagnosed with ankylosing spondylitis, or AS, 
And what it is, it's a debilitating spinal arthritic disease. Mm -hmm. There's no cure. And basically, you get diagnosed as a teenager after you've had chronic pain. And your spine starts to literally fuse together. Mm -hmm. So it crazy glues together and it looks like a bamboo stick. Right. So you lose extension and flexion and rotation. Um, The conventional therapy is PT, physical therapy. Um, You can do some, you know, maybe light steroids, uh, prescription medication. Then it moves on to epidurals if that doesn't work. Sometimes surgery. So it, and then you do drugs that are immunosuppressive drugs. Right. So stuff they use for chemo. Yeah. Really heavy duty drugs, which Mm. most people move on to. Right. And for me, it was maintaining it, maintaining it, wearing a back brace. So by the time I got to medical school uh, in San Francisco, I was having a really hard time standing, doing rounds. Um, working 80 hours in the hospital. How did you decide, uh, like, other than being Asian, and if you're not a doctor, you're a failure, but why did you decide decide for medical school? Yes, so your choices were to be a doctor, a lawyer, or accountant. Of course. But I actually became an osteopathic doctor because I wanted to find a more holistic way of healing. Right. So an osteopathic physician is a DO. There are two types of physicians in the U.S. And uh, DOs and MDs have the same licensing, except we take more anatomy classes in school and we learn about manipulation. Mm -hmm. We actually use our hands to help diagnose and treat patients. Mm -hmm. Uh, Not a lot of DOs go into manual medicine. Maybe I would say less than 1% to 3% now Really, at this point. Why? Yeah, which is, the whole country. Which kind of begs the question, why even go to the DORL unless they do that, you know? Because that seems to be, that's what separated from an MD is that you do focus on that part, but then most of the DOs don't, which is kind of funny. That's right. And a lot of DO schools want to phase out the manipulation part now. <laughs> What's the point? What's the point? At that point, why do you even exist as a separate branch? They don't want, they don't want to be separated. Wow. Uh, so, I, you know, I... We are adjunct professors at a few DO schools, and there are always talks about, well, why do we need Why do we need to actually do osteopathy? To do osteopathy. Wow, that is so weird. Yeah. Yep. It's uh, it's sad, but it's also how medicine, uh, the culture is here in the United States. Right. Unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, because it's it's trippy for, as we get onto the story, sorry for this uh, detour for a second, but just to address it. I remember getting treated through osteopathy, through the actual manipulation, not through all the other stuff. And it's a really interesting experience because it's way more, you know, if people imagine like a chiropractor or massage or something like that, it's not like that. It's way more subtle. Mm -hmm. How do you pronounce that word, by the way? Yes, subtle. Okay, thank you. That one, yes. The um, I always I can't avoid pronouncing the B. It's there. It's written there. Why shouldn't I pronounce it? You know? (laughs) So it's, um, but it's very trippy. It's like the only time when I felt like I would fall asleep Mm -hmm. and be conscious that I was asleep. So I hear myself snore and my brain is still going. And it's so weird. Like I am asleep and I'm awake at the same time because when done really well, it would put me in this kind of weird, different state of consciousness. And when I would wake up from treatment, I would always feel like, happy baby just born you know i just get this all like ah life is good again 
And when you look at the actual practice, a lot of the movements were very, like if you look at it from the outside, you don't see a whole lot happening. You know, you see, you don't see the chiropractor twisting you and going crack and doing all this very, you know, more intense type of work from a, from a visual standpoint. A lot of it, you know, is the hand are under the head and they slightly move a half an inch and then they slightly, and it's like, come on, you're not doing anything. You're just holding my head, except that now I feel totally different. And, you know, the whole, the feeling is super powerful. Yes, it's very subtle. It's almost like energetic work, mm-hmm. but um, we are working on a, on a very, like a tissue level, yep. a visceral level. <clears throat> We're working on the muscles and the bones. But it is very subtle. It's if you're if you're an outsider looking in, it looks like you're watching grass grow. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so my kids just got treated this weekend, and they always went. You know, they fall asleep, and then they wake up. They say, "Mommy, I feel like I was floating." Yep. Yep. I yep. Yep. you know I was hearing you guys talk about my body and what's going on, and my ankle hurts, but I was almost sleeping. Yep. And then they wake up in a great mood and, you know, they have less meltdowns that day. (laughs) Word by word by experience. (laughs) That's exactly it. Yeah, which is really... And I think that's also maybe why the medical schools... uh, Because clearly what you guys do with the manual practice is a science as much as it's an art. Because, you know, you can... Somebody teach you how to prescribe a certain drug... Okay, anybody, you know, you learn which drugs go for what, anybody can do it. It's replicable. It's The pill is the same. The ingredients are the same. Nothing changes. Mm-hmm. A lot of the manipulation, it's so... One person will look like they are doing the same thing and is amazing and can pull off this amazing result. And the next person is just holding your head and nothing happens, you know, because it's a skill that cannot exactly be replicated uh, like you know, sort of assembly line, you know, it's like there's an individual skill of the practitioner that makes all the difference on whether the actual treatment works or doesn't. That's correct. And it also depends on the individual patient. Absolutely. So it depends on what they're going through and what their tissue or their body feels like. Very similar to acupuncture or Mm -hmm. Ayurvedic medicine. And a lot of these ancient healing practices um, was based on the individual, was based on the tish, the actual body, what the body feels like, the tissue work, yep. um, and energy. And that's what's funny when you hear people say something works or something doesn't work. It's like you really can't compare, you know, two different acupuncturists. They're still doing acupuncture, but one guy doesn't know what he's doing. It's terrible and he's just sticking needles in you and nothing is doing anything. And another guy is a magician who can suddenly look like they are doing the same thing and the results are amazing well that's why there's less osteopathic physicians doing traditional osteopathic manipulation because it is apprentice work yeah you have to you know be with a mentor that can um that you put your hands on various patients and really go through um practicing i mean years and years Mm -hmm. of practicing versus prescription medication or surgery it is the same thing. Yep. It's replicated. It's standardized every single time. For, it's a flowchart. Absolutely. It's, a, it's an algorithm. Yeah, exactly. And that's what. And, and in some cases, as you say, the individual, you know, you see some people who they can put in the time, they can put in the work. And if you put in the time and the work, you're going to get decent for sure. But they start 10 steps behind because their degree of sensitivity, their own emotions, their just personal makeup 
is more or less inclined to be successful and great at this. You know, some people you see them is like, oh, you just need the practice, but you got the right attitude, the right mindset. You are able to put yourself in another place when you treat. You are able to. And so in some cases, it sounds very anti-democratic because it's like, this person can do it and they'll be amazing. <laughs> you, not so much. You can try hard and be okay, you know? And, and unfortunately, that's the reality, right? Well, it's it's like, yeah, it takes a different temperament. It takes a different type of clinical practice. Um, you know, if you're looking to see 30 patients a day, like your typical yeah. spend seven minutes with a patient. No you're not going to be able to do something like this. No, definitely. But if you're looking for a small, small artisan practice where you maybe see five to seven patients a day and you spend an hour with each patient, which we do, yeah. and we talk about everything from diet to exercise and integrative and a holistic approach, then that is the type of medicine what, is what we do. Are you still doing a lot of manual treatment too in your practice? Yeah. We are, yeah. Oh. We combine manual therapy with... Nutrition, we do acupuncture, um, and we do medical cannabis. Check you out. Yeah. Okay, so let's jump into the medical cannabis. So you are in med school. Uh, you are miserable because you are hurting in every which way. By the way, is that like genetics, just bad luck? or Genetics. What? Yeah, that yep. just look up. Okay. Yep, it's a gene. You get tested for it. It's called HLA-B27 gene. Mm-hmm. Some uh, people get it really, really severe, um, and some don't. Right. So it's more common in men, in male teenagers. Hmm, mm-hmm. Interesting. So it's really kind of luck of the draw. Yes. Gotcha. And in your case, it wasn't such good luck. So <laughs> you are in med school, miserable and hurting. Oh my gosh. I was so hurting. I, I would wear this back brace so hard. I would have bleeding uh, on my skin wow. because it would chafe. And you know, of you course. know, med school's long. Yeah. And I had a physician who was an HIV and AIDS doctor. He's an attending, Dr. Levine. And he pulled me aside, and I remember because we were in the OR together, and I was having a hard time. We were doing like a hip replacement, and those those are quite a few hours. And he said, "What's going on? You can't stand. Yeah. You know, are you okay?" And I told him I had AS, and he said, "You're not. You're not going to make it. You can't. You can't do this. You're going to stand a lot. You're going to be delivering babies, yeah. eighty hours a week." And um, he took me aside, and he handed me this tincture, this bottle. Mm-hmm. Um, he says, okay, I'm just, don't tell anyone I gave this to you, <laughs> but it helps my HIV and AIDS patients. Right. It's marijuana. Right. And of course I freaked out. You know, my whole body turned clammy, cold. I was sweating. I said, oh my God, this doctor wants to deal drugs to me. <laughs> what kind of a man is he? Right. You know, what else is he doing in this hospital? Um, and I grew up in the Bronx. Of course. In a Chinese household, right? A typical Chinese mom that believes marijuana leads to schizophrenia. Right. I didn't really experiment with any cannabis. I was pre-med. You know, it was hard enough trying to get into med school. Sure. And But I knew at this point, I had tried so many things. If I didn't try something, I'd, I'd have to drop out. Right. So... When was this, by the way? This was my end of my second year of med school. So we're talking... <laughs> to, mm, yeah, this was early 2000s. Early 2000s, okay. And then... Uh, California legalized medical cannabis in 1996. Right. So there was a medical cannabis law already. Definitely not. Oh, but this was in Cali. Okay. Yeah, this was in Cali. I was in San Francisco. So being in the right place at the right time. Yeah. I was just like in this middle of a switchboard where medical cannabis became legal. I was learning conventional uh, medicine, learning osteopathy. And and so I tried it. I secretly tried it at home 
when what? I was not on call. Because you were desperate, kind I was of desperate. like at this point, screw it, give me the exactly. weed. Give me the schizophrenia inducing <laughs> weed. Let's, uh, right. Exactly. I mean, I couldn't even stand to do the dishes. Right. Right. So it smelled so nasty and gross. <laughs> it looked like mud. And I, you know, it was like, I was an alcohol-based tincturist actually, right. right? of course. So I remember it smelled like dog. Right. It smelled like grass, soil. And I took it. And I felt high. I got high. Not very high, but almost like I drank a glass of wine. Right. And then by Monday, my body just felt less stiff. Mm-hmm. It was in a way that, you know, my prescription medications didn't work. I, I did acupuncture. I did all of that, but just didn't last. Sure. And I knew so I was onto something. And I went back to him Monday morning and I said, tell me everything you know about this plant. I need to learn yeah. about the compounds. And he's just like, well, we really don't know much. Right, because of course, back yeah. then, being, having been illegal forever, there wasn't a whole lot of research yeah. done to... Yeah. exactly. But he's like, but I can show you, you know, where I grow it and how I make it. Yeah. And so from then, we just basically, there were other doctors that were doing it as well with patients, went to like journal clubs, we were sharing patient cases. And it just, um, you know, it was under the table. I didn't tell anyone what I was doing. I didn't tell anyone I was taking it. Nobody knew. I didn't mm-hmm. want to get kicked out of school. Of course. I was a young, training to be a young physician, um, and that's pretty much it. How's the, like, after years, how has been the effect on your back and uh, your overall state of health now? So I've been taking it almost 20 years now. Right. So I still do the tincture. I don't take it every single day, but mm-hmm. I, maybe I'll do it at least three to five days a week. Right. Um, but I still have to, I get osteopathic treatment. I do get acupuncture once or twice a month. I do yoga. Mm-hmm. I still have to keep an anti-inflammatory diet. So I still have to do all the other heavy lifting. Otherwise, the cannabis doesn't work. Of course. Yeah. That's a given. Mm-hmm. With this regimen, which of course is pretty intense, but it's you know it's what you got to do. How's, how are the symptoms? How are you feeling? It's a lot better. The disease hasn't progressed. That's you know, huge have, right there. It's huge. So I have a little bit of fusion in my lumbar sacral right. area. But I was able to have two babies and still be okay. Yeah. That made a difference. Um, but, you know, I, I'm not without pain. Sure. But it's not where I, I don't have to wear the brace anymore. Right. I can still function. I, I went to Italy last summer. We were hiking all month. Right. I did fine. Brought the cannabis with me. I had to, you know, a yeah, little yeah. secret tincture bottle, took <laughs> off the label. But, um, but it works well. And so that's what I do for patients is I help them integrate it with their conventional care. Well, because, I mean, that's. In your story right there, it's huge. It's like almost 20 years without progression. Actually better than before, because before you were in a back brace and now you aren't. Right. And so it's not like, oh, I had a good six-month run, but who knows what happens the next month. It's been 20 years. It's like this stuff clearly is working really well for you. And mm-hmm. as you say, why is this? Cannabis is a huge part of the story. It's not the only part. You're doing a lot of other things that contribute to an overall healthy lifestyle. But still, right. big deal in terms of... And then, so that's what sort of pushed you to make it part of your practice, right? Like your own personal experience then once you once you graduated, got your own practices. When did you start actually? Because I mean, I, I remember originally you were doing more just straight up manual manipulation, all of that. At what point did you make it part of your gig? It, it always was. Okay. We just didn't tell anyone. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so it was more on the hush I was really careful right. because yeah. malpractice doesn't cover you. Of course. Um, so patients found us right. through word of mouth and would say, I heard you're doing osteopathy, but I also heard... 
you're helping patients with medical cannabis. Yeah. So in California, it was a lot of children at first, special needs children. These are kids that had seizures, kids that had genetic disorders, cerebral palsy, kids coming in wheelchairs. So we would treat them with osteopathic manipulation. Mom would say, okay, I, I found someone that gave me cannabis, obviously on the black market, and this is what I'm giving my child, and it's working. Right. Um, so we would be that physician that supported sure. the parent, the child, and then be a liaison to the neurologist or to the psychiatrist Makes so sense. that the other doctors felt comfortable. There, at least there was a, a doctor on board sure. and willing to take that risk, that liability. Yeah, which is a big one. <laughs> which is big. Of course. And then when it works, you know, one mom refers 10 moms. Yeah. So that's really how it grew. But we continued. We never advertised. We didn't say a word about it to our colleagues. Um, you know, I'm in practice with my husband. And we were just really, really careful. Of course. Um, and now what's nice is it's changed so much. I mean, now everything is CBD and cannabis. Yeah. And you would think it cures anything that moves, really. But now we can write a book about it. Right. <laughs> I can talk on this podcast openly about it. Which you just did. <laughs> so so times me, have changed. Right. Tell me a little bit about the book. So, Aliza Sherman is my co-author. Mm-hmm. She is the CEO of a women's cannabis health network group that started two years ago. Okay. They're in 65 cities in the UK and in Jamaica. Mm-hmm. And they have meetings, essentially monthly meetings, for women to talk about how to integrate cannabis safely, educating, basically. It's an right. education-forward company. And I spoke at one of her events in New York City two years ago. And after that event, we received such great feedback. She called me and said, hey, you know, I, I got a, a book deal from Penguin and 10 Speed. They need an MD. Would you like to right. do it? And you're female, which is what she preferred. Mm-hmm. And we wrote the book um, in less than six months. They wanted it out in, Sweet. in, a, long, in a short amount of time. And here we are on our book tour. So it's been a great experience. Cannabis and CBD for health and wellness. I dig it. I can't wait to dive in. That's <laughs> yeah. awesome. No, that's great. And uh, so recently published, we told... What do you cover in the book? So we go through the history, mm-hmm. um, which you probably know better than anyone else, about you know why cannabis became illegal. Sure. Um, and the whole political backlash with that. Then we go into the botany of it. So the actual plant itself and the species and and what are the different things in the cannabis plant there's over 150 cannabinoids 113 terpenes which give cannabis the uh, aroma the, mm-hmm. the essential oils and then we go into the science behind it which is what i always teach my colleagues so now i do grand rounds i'm teaching this to pharmacists to medical schools a, a little bit a little bit. They're, they're sort of letting me test the water a little bit, but I go into the science behind it, uh, the receptors, the pharmacology, the biochemistry, all that stuff the doctors love. And then I go into actual patient cases. So I give illustration of an insomnia case, a seizure case, ADHD, right. depression, PTSD, those various patient cases, how we integrated it into the patient's a symptom and disease mm-hmm. and what worked and what didn't work of course sometimes it doesn't work and uh and then we have it well cited and well referenced beautiful mm-hmm. and i think uh, when you mentioned the individuality earlier when we were talking about manual manipulation you mentioned the individuality of the practitioner the individuality of the patient with cannabis too it's tricky because 
no two strains are identical. Yeah. And so you can have strains that it's not, oh, it's cannabis. No, it's like that particular strain does certain things. Another strain does very different things. Unless you know which strain is which, the result is not going to be the same. I mean, exactly and, right. And so that makes it even trickier in terms because, yes. again, it's not aspirin. That is like every single peel of aspirin everywhere in the world is the same chemical composition. Yeah. This is a different gig. Exactly. <laughs> and, and each strain or chemovar is different depending on the microclimates. Right. So what's available here in Southern California is different from Northern California or which is different in, in New York or Asia. Yeah. And because of the different strains, because it's herbal medicine, at the end of the day, this is herbal medicine, you have a very broad therapeutic value, um, which is going to be so different when I say, here's a pill for high blood pressure. You know, let's check it again in a week. Right. Exactly. Because it's like, there's a lot more art required to really figure. I was having this conversation. Somebody was telling me that they had visiting like this head of the herbology department of a university in China. And they were dealing with like an extreme case of like, I think it was a really aggressive tumor or something of a friend. And so they put them in touch. And this guy was like, okay, I'll help you. And uh, so he started going around all the places that that sell Chinese herbs in LA. And this guy goes like, yeah, 90% of that stuff <clears throat> not gonna work oh. because it was harvested wrong has been stored the wrong way oh. has been so he goes through thing and he's like yeah nine out of ten of the compounds here are no good out of the one out of ten you need to know exactly how to boil it how to combine it when to give it what time and then it did work like this guy pulled off this amazing thing mm. which in his mind wasn't amazing he's like yeah that's how it's supposed to work when you do it right and he stopped a super aggressive tumor that should have killed this person in six months. Ten years later, they're still fine. But his thing was like, look at what stops we had to jump through to yeah. get to these results. Wow. You need to have a knowledge that's insane wow. about the specifics. You yeah. need to know there are 30,000 things that you have to check the box and make sure they click from harvesting to storage to the combination of the herbs, the time of the year, the patient... So it's like, yeah, of course that's not easily replicable where anybody else can go to school for a few years and like, yeah, I'll prescribe you this thing. It's like, it works, but it works at such a high level of knowledge that is not exactly for everybody. You know, it's like a bunch of other people are going to go to somebody else who doesn't have quite the same knowledge. They are going to throw them some herbs. They don't do anything. They're like, ah, all that herb stuff is crap. It doesn't work. Right. And it's like, it's not that it does or it doesn't. Again, it goes back to individual patient, individual practitioner, specific compounds. And I think with cannabis, it sounds like it's the same gig. Like you need to have this super high degree of knowledge to, to really make it work well. And it's humbling for us. I mean, really, it teaches us that, you know, as practitioners, we don't know everything. Of course. And then it puts the onus on the patient as well. It's your responsibility to take charge of your own health. You have to figure out what works and what doesn't and communicate to your practitioner. Keep a journal uh, mm-hmm. is what I tell patients to do with, with any herbal medicine, cannabis medicine, osteopathy. Keep track of what works and what doesn't so you're not spending all this money and time on all these different practitioners and you get overwhelmed. You know, some things might work, some things doesn't. What works, what doesn't. Yeah. And you're sitting with, you know, with $200 worth of supplements from Whole Foods. Right. <laughs> no, and I think that's part of what makes it hard is that for a lot of people is like, okay, I have a job, I have the kids, I have this, I have that. I don't have the energy that's to true. put in that much. But at the same time, it's like, 
I get it, but that's the reality. Right. You know, it's like whether you do or do not have the time, the requirement is the same, you know. And I think that's why then the whole standard uh, prescription drug business sounds so mentally reassuring because it's like, just take the purple pill and you'll be fine. Really, you're not fine anyway, but at least it's simple mentally, right? There's this idea, one disease, one medicine, done. Right. Of course, it's fake because it's not that easy and the results are not quite as, but that's the idea. You right, know? and so that's uh, that's what makes it tricky, you know. But, Good point. But yeah, that's that's exciting. They are doing all these, and are like, what are some of the main um, main issues that people come to you with? I mean, you mentioned like kids epilepsy, you mentioned cerebral palsy, you mentioned what are some of the other big ones? The top, the top, top thing is insomnia. Right, insomnia, mm. and and this is with children and adults. Uh huh. Um, I, th- I think a lot of patients um, are overprescribed Ambien, right? Uh, sleep aid or benzos like mm-hmm. Xanax or Clonopin, and it is just as addicting as opiates. Right. Um, I treat a lot of actually female patients, and female patients that uh, are menopausal deal with insomnia quite a bit. Okay. And women, uh, one out of four women are given a prescription, so women are overprescribed, overmedicated, and they're often given an antidepressant before a male patient. Hmm. And so a lot of female patients come to me because they just can't sleep, whether it's hormonal or stressors in life. They're given an Ambien or a, or a Xanax. They become heavily dependent on it, but they still don't feel rested. Mm-hmm. So they read about CBD or cannabis, um, and they come in uh, asking to, to see if it's safe because they're usually moms sure. uh, or they're their partner has a stigma behind it, so they're not sure if they should do it, or they don't know how to talk to their doctor about it. Of course. Makes sense. You were mentioning earlier also things like PTSD, depression, things like that. Is that kind of a big part of the practice that you run into, or not as big? Like Yeah, I usually work with a holistic psychiatrist. Okay. So I, you know, I know what's in my lane. And when I work with a holistic psychiatrist that have has given patients prescription medications and it hasn't quite worked, or maybe they have, um, you know, situational stress or PTSD that is, you know, it's not warranted for prescription. Sure. Um, then we will work on using relaxing methods like acupuncture, uh, meditation, uh, cannabis for PTSD and depression. Right. Sometimes uh, patients come to me when they've tried all other medications and it doesn't work. And it doesn't work, right. So what's great about uh, medical cannabis is it helps you relax, sleep, and forget. Yeah. So uh, a lot of PTSD patients come in and use it occasionally to help balance their nervous system. Because mm-hmm. when you take prescription medications you still have to experiment to see which one works. Sure. It takes six to eight weeks. Sometimes when you're on it eight weeks, your body, your biochemistry changes and yep. then you have to wean yourself off. Right. So it can be a very painful, long process. So a lot of holistic psychiatrists work with me and we try cannabis as first line. Right. Which is try really nice. first and run. Yeah. Right. Yeah. What's the, your mom's paranoia about uh, weed leads to schizophrenia now there is a little bit of like sort of you hear this anecdotal evidence about people who are prone to schizophrenia weed may not exactly help in that department and may make things worse how much based on what you have seen how 
how common is that? Is it real? Is it a real concern? Is it not? Because, I mean, you know how it is. It's like, it's so weird. It's like somebody will take some weed and they will be, and the effect it has is it relaxes them and makes them more mellow and all of that. And then you hear a lot about people who can do that for years. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden they take weed and they get really paranoid. Now, this is not schizophrenia. This is something else. But, you know, still indicating the fact that it obviously has an effect on the mood, on your state of mind, which in many cases can be very positive, but in some cases is not. What makes the... I guess let's start with that and then we can worry about the schizophrenia part, whether there's something legitimate to that or not. What do you think... What is it that causes people to have all the positive effects and other people to have all the negative one? Or maybe even the same person. They can do it for years and be perfectly happy and then all of a sudden something switches and they get paranoid every time they take it. Yeah, so um, there, I looked at studies. I couldn't find any really good study that shows a correlation, causation with cannabis and schizophrenia or mm-hmm. psychosis. But... The cannabinoid receptor is the largest receptor in the brain. We don't learn that in medical school. Right. So it's very, very complex because the plant is complex. You don't know what type of chemovars or strains that you're taking. So if you take something that's very, very high in THC, too much that your body can't tolerate, and THC is the part of the cannabis plant that causes euphoria and relaxation and sedation, but too much of it can cause... Uh, heart palpitations and panic mm-hmm. and paranoia. Right. So let's say you're humming along, you're take you're um, a chronic cannabis user. It's worked so well for you, but then your strain changes. Mm-hmm. Right. The grower, the cultivator, you got your hands on something different, or your body changes. It's right. developed a tolerance, and it needs something another cannabinoid. Yep. That is usually what triggers the change. Okay. Um, and then what happens is patients say, well, it's not working. Let me take a little more. It's not working. Let me take a little more. And that makes it worse. And that makes it worse. Of course. So that, that is really what I see is the main shift. And the same thing happens with antidepressants. Sometimes you might be great on, uh, you know, your effects or your Zoloft. And then 10 years later, you have to switch because it's not working anymore. Your hormones change, especially for females, Mm -hmm. their body changes after childbirth, menopause, premenopause, males change, their testosterone levels adjust, and you might need to change your prescription medication, and then you adjust, and then it doesn't work, and you're all over the place, and and you're ping-ponging all over the place too. So that's with any prescription or natural supplement. That makes sense. But as far as the schizophrenia goes, do you feel like all that anecdotal stuff, is there any possibility that there's a connection there? What's your, because I understand you say, you know, the research is kind of sketchy there. What's your read on that? What do you think are the dangers? What's not dangerous? I think in general with mood disorders, um, you have to be careful. Right. Usually patients uh, that are schizophrenic are on other heavy-duty medications. Mm -hmm. Um, Haldol, for example. Um, And so you really need to be careful for medication interactions. Sure. Um, But a lot of patients that um, have schizophrenia or bipolar... um, are already self-medicating. They've, right. they've already figured out for themselves. Actually, as teenagers, um, you follow these patients' stories. They say, I've always smoked as a teenager, and it helps me. It helped me deal with the social anxiety or the angst or the depression or the insomnia. 
It's just they've never spoken to a physician about it. So, so they're sort of left on their own. So it could be a chicken or an egg thing. Yeah. It's like somebody was, may have gotten for schizophrenia anyway. And because they were kind of heading there, they naturally figured out, I need to self-medicate. And so you look at it from the outside and you're like, oh, the weed caused it. Right. Whereas that may not necessarily be the case. Correct. Okay. So we can reassure your mom. We, yeah, <laughs> we need more studies. Well, also yeah. from a Chinese culture perspective, you, I mean, you can get the death penalty in China still. Right. For <laughs> I know. It's funny. Cannabis. I was doing for History on Fire. I'm doing this research on, <clears throat> on Bruce Lee. Oh. And yeah, I want to do a two or three episodes ah, on Bruce Lee, right? I love Bruce Lee, yes. And, um, and I was reading because, you know, he was a big fan of cannabis and they, he was weird. It's like, if he had done opioids, there would have been way more tolerance in Hong Kong for it. Yes. But like when they found minute traces of cannabis in his system, when he died, they were trying to say that that's what killed him. And he was like, no, that's not at all. Because <laughs> in their mind, he's like, cannabis, oh my God. He's like, heroin would have been better. And it's like, what do you think it is? Because I mean, even when you look at it, like when you look at the use of cannabis in traditional Chinese medicine, there have been a lot of it in the past. You know, It started been, in China. Exactly. It started in Kazakhstan and China. That's so where it was born. What do you think culturally made the shift to why there's such a harsh attitude toward cannabis over there? It's interesting you asked me that because I had this conversation with my mom. Mm-hmm. So I actually got my mom off of almost 15 years of Ambien sure. and then and she takes cannabis now. Mm-hmm. So she takes cannabis chocolates before bed and now she's a believer. Right. So we had this conversation and she thinks it's from the opium war. Mm. She thinks, you know, I don't I don't know the history as well sure. as you do. Um, but she thinks it's, you know, it was just based on that cultural shift and it they just looped in everything. Um, all drugs. Which makes sense. But then even, like, you're right. There does seem to be through an extra attitude toward cannabis as, uh, you, you know, like, seriously, there's almost more tolerance toward, well, not that much still. It's still frowned upon. It's still jail time. It's still all of that. But there seem to be almost more tolerance for opium as a vice. Kind of like, oh, that's a vice. And cannabis, oh, my God, you are trying to ruin their country. Well, what's interesting is, and I'm spending a lot of time in um, Yunnan province in China now. I just got back a week ago. Mm-hmm. I spent three weeks there. They are, the pharmaceutical industry, the farmers there have been growing cannabis, millions of acres still. Right. And they're looking at genetic research now. They're looking into, they feel better saying CBD. Right. Um, even though it's still cannabis. Yeah. Um, but they are looking at it as medicine. And Chinese herbal preparations, they'll say it's hemp. Mm-hmm. But it's cannabinoids. Of course, of course. So they are still using it. The Chinese yeah, culture yeah. uses it. They just use a different name. But there was that shift for yep. probably a various reason that created this. Uh, yeah, because exactly. it's funny. There are a bunch of uh, China. There's a bunch of other Asian countries where any kind of weed is like chop your head off pretty much. Right. You know, it's bad, bad, right. bad. Which is bizarre in that sense. Now, on the... Um, on the CBD versus THC and stuff, of course, the CBD is the known, uh, like, doesn't get you high by itself, uh, the THC does. You prescribe both, of course, because it's the whole plant and there are a mm-hmm. bunch of different things. Um, like, I was, for example, for a while I was taking CBD and it was weird though, because I couldn't tell, like, with CBDs, I felt no effect whatsoever, which doesn't mean it's a bad thing. You know, maybe it's doing everything it's supposed to in my body, but, you know, I did not have a specific complaint where then I can gauge, oh, it's getting it better or not. 
as like, you know, overall healthy, but generally there's the whole attitude is CBD is good for you regardless. Right. So I would take it, but I would be like, kind of I take it on faith. Yeah. Because, you know, it's like, I don't feel any different, like not a tiny bit. Right. Is that common as far as you know when you don't have a specific complaints? Is that just how it is? Um, it depends on your body. Okay. If um, So for me, for example, when I take CBD, I don't feel anything either. Right. Um, I don't feel like, oh, my pain level is gone. Right. So what I usually do, I test, I tell patients, and even I do, I take a fast after uh-huh. a couple months. And when I don't take it for the two to three weeks, e- my body will feel achier okay. or stiffer in the morning. Or I feel like, the, you know, that knee starting to bother me, right. that low back starts to bother me. So it's very subtle because it's an anti-inflammatory and mm-hmm. it's a cumulative effect. Okay. So it's not like popping an Advil right. and then a couple hours later, you know, right. the back sure. pain's gone. It can be that way. But if you are generally healthy and there's nothing acute that um, yeah. is crying out for you, CBD, like a, you know, I would say 25 to 50 milligrams is a nice maintenance dose you can use it as like a you would use turmeric or fish oils um you know glucosamine something like that that you just feel like oh i feel like my joints are a little healthier so it's a good base anti-inflammatory which Mm -hmm. is good for everybody regardless and you can sort of take it preventively and just good for you that you do it you're not gonna feel (laughs) at our age right (laughs) you're not gonna feel a huge dramatic difference one way or another but it probably helps you prevent like you know the stuff that maybe three years down the road you would be feeling oh you're not feeling it for so that's okay cool cool yeah and then adding the different levels of thc to it um can you know sort of heighten the or amplify the effects yeah, with the THC, okay, question about the THC. <laughs> <clears throat> the chemistry of it to me is so bizarre because if I smoke, uh-huh. I can smoke a good chunk okay. and feel it pleasant, okay. mild, happy, very slow and gradual. I dig it. I love it. If I do any kind of edibles, I either don't feel anything or I feel like somebody grabbed a baseball bat and swung it right at my head and I'm just miserable okay right i've done it as an experiment once with like one milligram thc spray right so one night i take one i don't feel anything the next night i take two i don't feel anything the next night i take three i don't feel anything the next night i take four oh way too much i don't like it ah it was so weird yeah i'm doing it so gradually right so i'm i'm experimenting to go not like oh i kind of eyeball it and take too much it's like i'm going one milligram at a time and there's a point where it goes from i feel nothing to i feel awful all of a sudden i don't know if it's just my weird body and in general with edibles i never had a single good experience it's very common that's actually textbook do tell so when you when you inhale Mm -hmm. there's a 90 percent bioavailability so it goes straight and it works on your receptors right away. And a lot of people like that immediate effect. Usually they say 10 minutes, 30 seconds to 10 minutes. Yeah. You know what's working, yeah. you're done. Yeah. With an edible, it has to go through your liver, your GI tract, the chemical you know, compounds break down, and it becomes very strong. Right. So you, if you might not feel it, and then you take another one, and then you're knocked off your feet. No, and that's why I had that experience before. It's awful. So that's why yeah. I die. I had that actually. The very first time I did any kind of edibles was with a tea. The tea. Uh, oh, with, yeah. With Ash. Okay. Yeah. And so, you oh, know, wow. drink that tea. And he was like, ah, I don't feel anything. An hour went by. Let's drink some more. And, you know, middle of the night, I wake up where 
literally every 10 seconds I would wake up going like, who am I? Where am I? Oh, it's me in my room. Lights out. I pass out. <gasps> who am I? Where am I? For like eight hours. So yeah, that oh, was that's fun. scary. Yeah, that was awful. Well, think about it, if you're an elderly patient, right? Because that yeah. happens too with that, gummies and chocolates. Yeah. yeah, you have to be very careful. Oh man, we did it once with someone where somebody, um, a friend of ours, was a dispenser. He gave us this uh, chocolate thing, and he's like, "I took the whole thing. I barely felt <laughs> it." But you know, he's a beast. I imagine because probably his THC tolerances. Okay. So I figure out he took the whole thing. He didn't feel it. I can take a third and I'll be oh fine. Oh my gosh. A third was like 60 milligrams, which again, some people take it and they have no problem. I hear people have taken a hundred and been completely like, oh yeah, I feel it, but no big deal. 60 milligrams. I was like in the third round of hell in the, like <laughs> oh God. Savannah was pretty much, okay, I'm going to die now. That's how it's going to be. It's like, I told that before the podcast, like, I had this moment where I'm like, this really sucks. And so I look at the clock. I'm like, okay, just wait. Yeah. It's going to go away. Yes. It's just a matter of time. So it I'm does, like, okay, yeah. what time is it? It's 4 p.m. Let me breathe. And so I start meditating and breathing and focus on my breath. And I do that for like an hour, right? And I look up at the clock saying, okay, we should be getting a little better. And, and the clock is saying four o'clock and six <laughs> seconds. <laughs> You know, my hour of oh. breathing was six seconds. Oh, you poor thing. I was thing. like, oh, shit, this is going to be rough, thing. you know. But okay, that's Daniela being stupid and overdoing it. Yeah. And I get that. That's yeah. bad. I get it. What I don't get is I don't seem to have a sweet spot. You know, I when it goes through my digestive system, it goes from I feel nothing to I feel too much. And there's no in between. There's no <clears throat> one quick sweet spot where I can be happy and it's doing what it's it seemed like anything that goes through the, my digestive system when it comes to THC is just bad news. Is that something you run into? Am I just, my body yeah. chemistry is you're particularly just, weird or? Yeah, you're, you're, you just can't metabolize it. Something mm. with your liver enzymes. Where, where it just yeah. doesn't click. It just doesn't. So right. you, the, the beauty of that is you can use an inhaled form right. where the vapor or, yeah. or uh, uh, you know, the flower. Right. And, and that's what gives, you know, believe it or not, I recommend that over the edibles for cannabis naive patients mm-hmm. they always think oh i'll just go for the chocolate and gummy it sounds safe no oh, I'm have a gummy <laughs> right. I'm have a cookie <clears throat> right but really it's the the inhaled form mm-hmm. that will give you a more uh predictable yeah yeah exactly outcome exactly yeah that i have no problems with right is the edible one i'm just like if i even see that i'm like ah I ran away, yeah, screaming and crying. Well, the good thing is you can't overdose on it, right? You overconsume and you feel like you're gonna die. Yep, you sure do. But you can't OD on it. I distinctly <laughs> remember having the. Um, I'm sure you heard the conversation of the cop that seized a bunch of edibles and took them with his wife. It's pretty funny. It was like maybe three, four years ago. A cop and grabbed a bunch of edibles from somebody and then promptly decided to take them, took too much, and calls 911 where he's like, we're laying on the floor. I think we have died already. Can't take our bodies. I think we're dead. <laughs> oh, my God. And, you know, it went viral because it was hilarious, right? Okay. It's like he was absolutely. <laughs> and, you know, it was one of the things that you hear it and you're like, oh, look at this dumbass. How ridiculous. And then when I was in that state, I thought, I was like, oh, my God, I so understand that guy. I feel exactly the same way right now. Yeah. Is uh, Yeah. So watch it with the edibles, definitely. You have to be careful. I, I did that a couple times times with a tincture 
where the there's a bottom of the tincture left and I thought, oh, there's just a little bit left. Let me just yeah. swirl it around and take it. But a lot of the THC had settled. Of course. And, you know, this was noon. I had to pick up the kids at three from school and I, I was not functioning at all. Wow. And when you want to sober up, it's it's really irritating. Yeah, it it's is. It's very scary. And, um, you know, the there's a... In the book, it'll say, like, chew on black peppercorn, or you could take CBD mm-hmm. to offset to the offset. high. Okay. And I did all that. It didn't work. Wow. So I had to call my husband and said, I'm sorry, but I just... Can't do it. <laughs> yes. <under> the influence. <laughs> yeah, that's a good call, because, yeah, you don't want to get behind the wheel of a car when you're in that state, because yeah, exactly. that would be bad. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's tricky. So in, when you prescribe for people who don't want to take the edibles, vape, smoke... Um, does yeah, it matter? Vape smoke, they have inhaler forms. Um, they have special sublingual forms that are fast acting, uh, especially for seizure patients. Um, and they have, you know, nanotechnology. Now they have all these sorts of things that they're trying to help the bioavailability, bioavailability and absorption. Because, I mean, um, I like smoking, but of course, anytime you burn something that goes into your lungs, I don't know how good that is for you long t- I mean, again, if you have smoke a little once in a while, I'm sure it's not the same as if you are just smoking constantly like a chimney all day. But do you have any particular opposition to the smoking process itself? or I prefer the vaporizer. Right. Because you're not burning it at such a high temperature. You're not burning plant material. Yeah. So there's no uh, less byproducts. Mm-hmm. Um, if you are sensitive in general to inhaled substance, maybe if you have asthma or something, obviously then you would use a, a sublingual tincture, right. which is the next best thing. And then usually the edibles is something that I would recommend for patients that have a higher tolerance right? or that are trying to use it for insomnia. Mm-hmm. It kicks in at 2, 3, 4 a.m. Uh, if you take it like at bedtime, it kicks in a couple hours later and it keeps you sleeping. Right. That makes sense. Do you, um, I guess one of the other concerns when it comes to quality is how was it grown? Because, you know, one of the things is like people take concentrates and it's like, it's a concentrate of what? Because there's yeah. the plant, but if you have just put like 10 pounds of pesticides in there, yeah. I don't know that that's a good idea for you. You know, it's like... Yeah. How do you, especially because for so long, the cannabis industry, even when it was first legalized medically, was the far west, right? It was just completely wild and unregulated and you don't really know what you're taking. How do you go about ensuring uh, the fact that you're not putting a bunch of pesticides in your body? What's the, are there rules with the dispensary? Do you just need to find somebody you trust to they grow it themselves? What's your take on it? Yeah, well, in each state is like a different island. Every right. state has its own laws. And here in California, the regulations have, you know, ramped up so much. The dispensaries, is a, a licensed dispensary is a safe place to go because their products are tested and tested again. Right. Third-party tested for the solvents and pesticides and mold. Um, so I would say do that before getting it in the gray market, unless you grow it yourself sure. and you know you've prepared it well right. on your own. Of course, which a lot of is what my patients did in the very beginning. Right. They just shared plants and seeds and figured it out on their own. But um, if you don't have time to grow your own, then you would just get it from a regulated dispensary. That makes sense. That makes mm-hmm. perfect sense. So that's the in New York. It's a very robust medical model. Each dispensary is. Uh, staffed with actual pharmacists. Oh, wow. 
So these pharmacists, you know, is what you would see at CVS or Walgreens. Yep. That's hilarious. And then when you pick up the cannabis, it's uh, logged into the prescription monitoring program. Right. And that's where your all your other doctors see right. when they prescribe a substance. So they you you know put in your name. Let's say you went to the doctor for pain meds or some other prescription. They'll log in and say, "Oh, you went to MedMen and picked up your cannabis." Yeah. I see. So it's really interesting model they have in New York compared to California. Totally. Yeah. Can you grow in New York or does it work? No, no you can't you grow can't in New grow. York. And there's no flour that's actually legal. So Ooh. everything is processed. Okay. It's vape. Uh, there's no edibles even either. Oh, wow. It's only like a capsule or a tablet. Oh, okay. Yeah. So very yeah. different Very medical. System. Yeah, it's so weird how it changes from state to state. Never mind from nation to nation where exactly you can get. 30 years in jail in one place I and know. you can be yeah. go to your friendly CVS pharmacy in the next <laughs> you know it's like yep. it's yeah that doesn't look <clears throat> it's very <laughs> odd it's cool though when you think about how much has changed in the span of a few years I mean even if you go back to your experience of feeling like oh my god this guy is dr- trying to drag me because it and California was already ahead of the curve when yeah. it comes to this stuff. Right. So let alone if you go 10 years before or 20 years before, it's like night and day type of stuff. I mean, year by year is changing. You have yep. um, one company up in the Bay Area, I went to visit them during the book tour, has uh, this infused beer water mm-hmm. with cannabis. Right. So it's not, an al- it's not alcoholic, but it has the essence of beer and it has, uh, you know, 50-50 THC CBD. Right. Yeah, it's uh, so bizarre. It's, so uh, bizarre. What do you make of the, you know, for example, things like Rick Simpson oil, the heavy THC? Uh, there's a lot of anecdotal evidence and claims about effects on cancer. What's your take on reading all the research? Um, how do you feel? About, I mean, of course, we're talking literally how do you feel about it? Because the evidence is still so messy because it's, you know, there hasn't been done long enough long term research and stuff. So what's your initial feel for some of those claims? Exactly right. Uh, my, my, there's not enough research. My feel for, for the anti-tumor effects is because cannabis can help you eliminate four prescription medications while you're on chemo radiation. Sure. It takes away the anti-nausea medication, anti-anxiety, um, the sleep medication, and the pain medication. So when you're taking those four prescription medications you're really taking them to offset the side effects of the other one. Sure. So if you can use something that's uh, an herbal preparation, plant-based, that's easier on your body, boosts your immune system, less taxing on your liver, gives you better morale to get through chemo, just a better quality of life or end of life, that's it. That right. makes a huge difference. And we're back to that holistic model. Sure. Right? No, I mean, body can... that's a win right there. Yeah. What do you make of the more epic claims about he can kill cancer cell, it can stop cancer progression, all of that kind of stuff? The studies have shown that it does uh, right. cause the cancer cells to self-destruct. Okay. Um, there are a couple of studies. Pancreatic cancer is one of them, and glioblastoma. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a couple of studies that show that it prolongs the mm-hmm. patient's life. And they're actually really heavily researching to find out what is the biochemistry, what's happening to those tumor cells when it's introduced with cannabinoids. Right. Um, So it's actually pretty significant and exciting. So there's something there. Yes, there is something there. We just need to figure out what it is and why it works on some patient, not in others, and all that stuff. Exactly. Once it becomes federally legal and that lifted, 
sure, we can we can research then you're the heck out of out it. Of years of research, and then that's where probably we yep. have a better. What would you say for people who don't have a specific ailment or illness or something? Is there kind of a base maintenance program that you recommend for anybody? Because you're saying, you know, like endocannabinoid, you got it, you know how to say it, I trip over my syllables, but the system inside your brain that processes the um, cannabis that has all the receptors, we all have it. And as you say, it's like the largest system within the brain. So it seems like there would be a place for sort of a preventive use of any ailment of stuff that anybody could take. Do you have sort of a general guideline for, yeah, that would not be a bad idea to take X amount of THC or X amount of CBD for everybody? Or do you tend to just argue, no, when you have an ailment, let's talk about it. But until then, you don't need it. For me, um, so we do have our own system, a natural endocannabinoid system. Endo meaning you make your your own natural cannabinoid molecules. Mm -hmm. It's called anandamide, which is also called bliss molecule. We make our own, and it actually becomes amplified with osteopathy. Mm -hmm. So there's a study that shows after osteopathic manipulation, your anandamide levels rise. With exercise, Mm -hmm. it rises with acupuncture. So if your body is has a natural, healthy, functioning endocannabinoid system, when you introduce an outside source, you know, albeit natural, you do mess with your natural sure. balance. That's like if you over supplement. If yeah. you take natural supplements and you overdo it, your body is going to self-regulate there's going to be a negative feedback loop and it's going to sort of pull back a little. Mm-hmm. So you have to really weigh the pros and cons. If there's, if your body's fine and there's nothing wrong and you're healthy and humming along, I say don't supplement with anything. Right. You know, even with, um, you know, your pills from Whole Foods or your vitamin shop, you want whole plant-based foods. Sure. These are more bioavailable. There are synergistic properties in your plants and vegetables and food. So you don't need even a cannabis supplement. Right. But you are saying maybe the CBD as a general anti-inflammatory, which is something that pretty much anybody can use, that may not be a bad idea? After a certain age, right? right. So if you were into sports mm-hmm. and you have overuse injuries, um, and a lot of us start so young. I mean, sure. look at the teenagers when they get up five in the morning for their school sports. When you're looking at things like that, overuse injuries, um, when you're looking at you know genetic makeup, you know, there's a, you know, let's say you're in your 20s, you have scoliosis, you sit down a lot. So looking at lifestyle, you might need some anti-inflammatory supplementation. Cool. Okay. Yep. That makes perfect sense. Anything else you want to throw out there? Well, this is a good, very thorough conversation. Sweet. Awesome. Well, okay. So the book is entitled Cannabis and CBD for Health and Wellness. Uh, oh yeah, here you have your full name, Junella Chin. That was funny that you say that people forget the name in New York and you cut it down to June for social media and things like that. Yeah. That's funny. The, um, okay, so I'll put the link to your newly created Instagram. So follow her up on Instagram. It's She just started it. I did too, by the way. If you guys haven't checked it out, you know, I had the Twitter, all that stuff. Savannah beat me with a stick in forcing me to start an Instagram. Not sure why, but okay, we'll do that. 
I just posted an APIC yesterday. We had a session with Savannah who we went to Dr. Mark Chang's house and we had a session of throwing oh, access. That was Mark, APIC. Very good. Yes. How's he doing? Good. He was throwing access with great relish. So of that course. was uh, excellent. <laughs> And uh, yeah, that's right, because um, his ex-wife was, uh, she was working with you guys or she went to school with? We or... uh, we teach together at the courses. Okay, yeah. so you do that, yeah, because yeah. she's an osteopath, of course. And yep. yeah, so yesterday we had an axe throwing session that was quite pleasant. Fun. Turns out that Savannah is a surgeon with an axe, like she threw this axe like 40 times in a row hitting the target, like, whereas uh, I was better with the knives. Okay. Well, we we had an, e- an even distribution where I'll take care of the knife part and she take care of the axe. I like that. It's so, a good balance. Yeah, that's uh, we had a yin yang thing going yeah. with our weapons. Yeah. So cool. So we'll put all your social media there. A link to the book. That's it. I think. Um, yeah. Any last thing you want to add, or we good? No. Very good. Thank you so much for having me. Sweet. This is a lot of fun. Thank you, John. Well, the funky music means one thing. That's the end of another fine episode of the Drunken Dows podcast. I thought that was a great interview. She was really, really well-versed. And it's just fun to know somebody that actually benefited from it for over 20 years is bringing it to the people in a safe manner because it really is going to change a lot of lives. Plant medicine, quite an awesome thing. I know that tinctures help people in my family. It just makes their day way better. And, you know, come on, it's weed. How bad can it be? Now, before I get to donations, there is a little bit of talk about doing a live show, sort of like in October in Los Angeles. So if anybody has an interest in that, and we get 30 or 40 people that want to come out and check it out, I think it would be a blast to do. We'll find a cool place. We'll all hang out. We'll do a little show. We'll record one or two of them, and then we'll you know hang out and have some drinks and talk. So if that sounds like something you do, Drunken Taoist Live, um, we can definitely get it put together. You can find my email address in the bottom of the episode notes, and you know if enough people feel like they want to give it a shot, we will happily put it together. So it wouldn't be anything too crazy expensive, just enough kind of to play for the, pay for the venue and get some folks together. Seems like it's about time. I mean, October will be the beginning of year eight of this, so time to pick it up a bit and and make a bigger stance for our cool show because we really enjoy doing it and i know there's a lot of great people out there all the nice kind things most of you said over the years is really important so let's see about getting a get together donations now we're going to destroy some names i never practice i just flip them over and see what they are so here we go quite a few of you this week thank you so much it really does help keep it on the air you know bandwidth microphones uh, mirrors for Bilelli. You know, there's a lot of cost in putting this show on. So, here we go. Let the pottering begin. Christopher Parcel. Jonathan Waterloo. Stephen McKee. Luis Pesquera. Thomas Robinson. Ross Cranham. Robert Primos. Andre Garpatin. Oh, now I think I'm. Oh. Andre Garpatina, that's probably wrong, Pat Hartman, Pat Hartman again, Devin Close, and Nicola Tongi. I think it's Togni, now that I read it. Thank you guys so much. It really means a lot that you help out. 
We encourage everybody to come on out to our donate page on the Drunken Taoist Podcast website. That is on thedrunkentaoist.com. Actually, there's also an awesome thing there, which is our Amazon link. Now, it's kind of a bit confusing sometimes, but if you want to help us out to get a tiny piece of the purchases you make, you don't pay any more for anything. They just give us a little cut of their uh, soulless corporate blood money that they have coursing through the place. And it doesn't seem to bother them either. We have a link on our donation page, and it seems like Maxis shows up on donation page and PCs. It doesn't. We should definitely fix it. But there'll also be a place where you can click on it on the episode notes under Amazon link. And you click on that. You have to go through that first, order what you're going to order, and uh, they send us a, a you know a shiny nickel to help us keep everything going. And it's definitely appreciated. Like I said, it costs you nothing extra. Funky. Kiva.org, $129,000 in loans from your fellow listeners. I'm always encouraging you guys to go check it out, Kiva.org. It's just kind of a fun thing. It's almost like a a hobby to us now and we have so many loans going that we tend to get another one going you know every three or four months at this point you pay the money out the money comes back you loan it out again and once it gets to swirling it really um it really look how it's built i mean in four years we've really got quite a little amazing amount of loans from your fellow listeners a little over 200 of you i'd love that for to be 300 someday give it a whirl sometime it's 25 bucks is is where you start you give a piece, you find a person somewhere in the world, from the U.S. to all over the place, Kenya, Peru, um, I think I just did one to Palestine for some guy that needed some seeds. It's just really fun to kind of help some folks out. So please join Team Drunken Dallas, which you can select when you uh, want to join a donation team. We're right there and ready to have you. It'll be great for you to come along. Uh, definitely a thank to our friends Daisy House. I was just listening to Persephone is a really cool track on their new record. That's available right there at daisyhouse.bandcamp. You can buy a record for 15 bucks. You can buy singles for a dollar. They're the fine folks that give us our incredible theme music. And how can we not tell you thank them? I mean, just it really is so iconic, and it just sets the show up so perfectly. And we appreciate their hard work. They've got probably, I think it's six albums now, maybe five. But explore and buy a couple records from them. I mean, they certainly deserve it. That Persephone thing I was just listening to, it sounds sort of like the old True Blood opening, if you ever watch that show on HBO. It's a cool little cool little jam. So daisyhouse.bandcamp.com. Toss them a dollar. I think that's about it. Special thanks to our friends at Blue Chew, Onnit.com, Grassland Beef, Sure Design, Snow Rose Coffee, Never Tap Gear. Man, that's everybody. For discount codes, go to our episode notes. And like I said, a fresh bunch of Rich and Bellelli for early August should be up in two weeks. Have a great summer, guys. Bye. And so ends another awesome episode of the Drunken Dows Podcast. Be sure to keep your ears peeled for another mind-expanding episode coming soon. We'll be tweeting you as they come out. You can keep track of Daniele at dbolelli. That's D-B-O-L-E-L-L-I. And you can find me on Twitter at Richimon1. R-I-C-H-I-M-O-N and the numeral one. We'll see you all soon. Woo!
Maybe I don't want to hear this. No, you don't. In questo caso, in questo caso, le provvidenze di Dio. Duncan showed you the way, eh? Oh man, isn't that scary to think? Nice. So don't kill people, do that instead. <laughs> this was great. Fucking awesome. And I love this conversation. I have nothing against chicken other than the fact that they are ugly and weird and strange. We've been yeah, having a great hour nice. here. Dun, dun, dun. I completely got lost. Are we doing the outro or the intro? We're outro. Oh, we're outro. Okay, sorry. So that's... <laughs> So let's continue. Did you ever see the movie Tombstone with uh, Val Kilmer and... Uh, uh, your accent, it just... Whatever that movie is you were trying to tell me about... Can you translate for me, please? I believe the word was Tombstone. Yeah, that one, exactly. <laughs> just as I was saying, you know, Tombstone. <laughs> now, most everybody thought... <coughs> Sorry. We'll, <coughs> we'll do a cut on there. Or not. That was something else. <laughs> no, that's maybe too powerful. <laughs> What do I have to do? One day the rod shall teach you. Get back to work. Funky.